Hello and welcome to Unmasked, a podcast where we challenge widely held assumptions around gender, sexuality and other identities. This podcast unmasks and explores these identities that can sometimes prevent us from fully expressing ourselves. Each week, we take a theme and invite an extra special guest for discussion, deliberation and all other things D-related. I am Charlie Robertson. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the third episode of Unmasked. I'm actually very excited about this episode. It was recorded three years ago, um, like the rest of the episodes, but this one I'm especially proud of. Um, I interviewed Richard Keldoulis, who is better known as Jennifer Hopeless, a very famous uh, drag queen in Amsterdam and also activist who is Australian and has lived here for 30 years. Richard is well known as the owner of Club Church and the Gay Sauna in Amsterdam. Club Church is not just a fetish club, it describes itself as not just a gay cruise club, but a safe and sexy space for many marginalised groups, transcending the traditional boundaries of fetish subculture. And they currently host more than 15 different themed parties. The Gay Sauna in Amsterdam, I believe the only gay sauna in Amsterdam, is an institution and, you know, is frequented by a lot of the gay community here and also many tourists. In the episode today, we talk about... um, PrEP. Uh, This episode was recorded three years ago, so at the time I will talk about the UK and how PrEP wasn't on the NHS. This has actually changed today. And PrEP, for those who don't know, is a drug you take daily. It's called pre-exposure prophylaxis uh, and reduces your chance massively of getting HIV. So it's taken commonly by gay men, but can be taken by anyone um, who's at risk of HIV and is now widespread commonly across Europe. and uh, like I say, in the UK, now you can get it on the NHS. And it's a vastly reduced price here as well. So we talk about that. And then we also talk about um, his uh, experience as a drag queen, Jennifer Hopeless. He's the um, mother of the House of, a house of Hopeless and kind of does dragtivism. Uh, and he's very political with his drag. And actually, you'll hear me talking about how, how I just started my drag journey. Today, obviously, I am a drag queen. But he uh, or she is a massive influence on my drag and was from the beginning. So it's interesting to hear back my um, kind of uh, uh, asking questions about how he got into drag um, and how actually that has really influenced my drag today. I think also what's really interesting, we talk about the Amsterdam queer scene and how it's changed over the 30 years that he has lived here. Um, And it's really interesting now, having been here another three years, to kind of compare experiences and, and listen back to this. Um, and finally, we talk about like the corporatization of pride and how pride has become, you know, very um, kind of driven by businesses here and, and what his views on that are. So I really hope you enjoyed the episode. And yeah, you can find Richard or Jennifer Hopeless at Instagram at Jennifer Hopeless with two Z's and at her website, House of Hopeless with two Z's dot com. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Richard and also known as Jennifer Hopeless. Um, I'm part owner of Club Church and Sauna NZ here in Amsterdam, where I've lived for 30 years. I'm originally from Sydney, Australia. I'm married here, happily married in Holland with my Dutch husband. Awesome. And you actually speak Dutch, right? My Dutch is okay, yeah. Because I, I was watching, in preparation for this, I was watching some interviews with you and I was like, wow, 
speaks fully Dutch. <laughs> I lived here so long. I think after a while, you know, it took me about eight years before I started actually speaking Dutch. Right. Okay. And, uh, but then after a while, it's sort of like, especially if you're going to meetings and stuff and you don't right. speak, it's, it becomes a real drag. and It's a real disadvantage. And do you find here, like, now you speak good enough Dutch that people... I know I speak French when I first lived in France people just automatically speak in English at first. Yeah. And especially here because they speak such amazing English. Yeah. But now you've got part of the stage where they'll... No, it still happens all yeah. the time. People go straight into English. Yeah, yeah, they hear my accent and like even so when I... I often say my name Richard instead of yeah. Richard. And then uh, people will immediately go into English still. But I, you know, I don't care. Whatever's easier, you know. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever works. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming. I thought we'd start with a little game. I think you'll find it easy. It's basically around kind of LGBT Dutch history. Yeah. Uh, and then there's one question at the end about Australia. Cause I okay. Because I'm native Australian. So, about 10 questions, and we'll just rattle through them. I'm very curious. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you know when the first gay pride was in Amsterdam? I can... 1996. Yeah, well, actually, <laughs> I didn't even need to give the options. It was a trick question. Okay. I was, it's 1977, I was going to say 1977, 1985, and 1996 were the three options. Okay. It could be but a trick question, yeah. But so 1996 is actually, you're the, correct, the, pride. It's the first yeah. gay pride. As we know. However, it. in 1977, That's true, there, there was the first, like, what they called Gay Liberation Solidarity Day. That's, yeah. And that was then a roaming yeah. pride event that across the Netherlands. That became Saturday, or also Saturday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you yeah. know more than I do. Um, no, but that's true. <laughs> I, I know you're, you're right, though, in 1977. Or... Um, the next one. Okay, this is interesting. Do you know when homosexuality was decriminalized in the Netherlands? 1811, and that was yes. Napoleon who yes. decriminalized that. Yeah, we had a lot to thank for Napoleon. He he yeah. decriminalized not only uh, homosexuality, bestiality, a whole lot yeah. of things. He really liberalized the country. Do we know why that was? Like, um, why? I'm not sure why Napoleon was so liberal, but we were the apparently the only country that combined Napoleon laws with um, which was not Catholic, right? And that was the theory why Holland became quite tolerant. Mm, interesting. But, yeah, yeah, because I know he, he, before it, sodomy was a capital punishment in Dutch Republic between 1730 yeah. and 1811. Then the Napoleonic Code came in. Yeah, got that. And they never recriminalized. No, it, no. So. Well, back in 1911, they re, they criminalized they raised right. age consent for gay people to 21 21 yeah and that went on until 1974 okay yeah well these you're flying you're getting top marks um when (laughs) when was same-sex marriage criminal like legalized Legalized first of april 2001 yes that's correct and apparently same-sex couples domestic partnerships were granted in 1998 and then same-sex marriages for 2000. Yeah, and of course, first country in the world, and the mayor, Job Cohen, was the one who um, did Did you, mar- did you marry your husband? We married a couple of years later, 2004, yeah, after the hype was over. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question. Um, what was the name of the gay bar tycoon who owned Exit April... Yeah, Shud Koistra, who committed suicide in... Yeah, when was it? I think, two, I want to say 2008. Sometime, sometime, sometime around there. It was sort of for when the gay scene started really to crumble right a lot of places closed yeah yeah which is sort of continuing today but that was a big blow because indeed he brought down a whole lot of places okay yeah what is Amsterdam's current oldest gay bar oldest gay bar yeah well at Muncha I guess is because that was started in 1927 but apparently that's not actually the first gay bar no not there was one called the Empire I think and the Muncha had closed down yeah I think it closed down in the 1980s and then reopened in yeah, much later. So yeah, because it was owned by an 
openly identifying lesbian. Yeah. Bert van Buren. Yeah. I'm butchering the Dutch language here. And then, yeah. and then was run by her sister, I think, or something? Um, at the moment, I think her niece has taken it over. No, yeah, her, her sister closed it down after she died, and okay. she lived above it. And it was yeah. like a museum sort of thing. For okay. And then she... And now her niece runs it. Ah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. When was... This will be easy for you. When was the Homo Monument completed and opened? It was in 1987. 5th of September, yeah, actually. Extra point. I used to run Pink Point, yeah. the gay kiosk there, so I know a lot Well, so now point. then you're going to know this question as well. <laughs> where, um, where do the three points of the large triangle point to? Uh, yeah, so one's to the Anne Frank House, yeah. one to the Dam Square, and one was to the old COC yeah. building. Although that was kind of coincidental. It was sort of not the original idea of the... But there was past, present, future, and the, the the past with a line of poetry on it from Jakob Israel Dehan. Because so, did you used to work at that? That's is it? Is it not the COC centre now? Or is it still COC? That uh, no, I worked at Pink Point. It's a little gay kiosk, that, queer right, kiosk yeah. on the Homer okay. Monument. Yeah, we set that up in around nine. Well, during Gay Games was our first run, in nineteen ninety eight, and the idea was to be like a face for the monument and to answer questions because monuments not that well signposted. A lot of people walk straight right. past it. Okay, so you kind of wanted it. Yeah, a like visible spot, and then it right. became a really visible little kiosk, yeah. and, um, you know, hands out information for gay tourists or queer tourists. And, awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you know the name of the person who founded COC Netherlands? And um, when was it founded? It was, was it Nick Engelsman or yeah. Bob Angelo? Yeah. And do you know when it was founded? Uh, 1946, I think, right? Yeah. <laughs> Literally <laughs> blasting out the water for the I'm um, good with numbers, so no, <laughs> I'm very good. Okay, and finally, date. when was uh, homosexuality decriminalised in Australia? And do you know... Oh, well, different states were different right. times. And, and New South Wales, weirdly enough, was very late. Was, uh, I think yeah. it was 84. I don't know about New South Wales, but I know the first and the last. Uh, the last was either Western Australia or Tasmania. Yeah, and do you know the, the year? The year, it was yeah. not all that long ago. No, it wasn't. It's pretty shocking. So, yeah, yeah. which was, I found really shocking. Um, basically, Tasmania was the last. Right. And it was decriminalized sex between men was May 13th, 1997. 97. Oh. Which is crazy. And now 22 years before was the first, which was um, South, South Australia. Australia. Yeah, weirdly enough, South Australia was very liberal. They had yeah. a gay uh, premier. Yeah, so that was in 1975. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. Well done. Thank you so yeah, much for playing that. Yeah, got most of it. You did literally <laughs> got all of them. So, Thanks, Richard, for playing that kind of silly game. But you got them all right. So yeah, so that's not silly game. It's a great game. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to talk to you first around um, the introduction of PrEP into the Netherlands. And I know you've been quite active um, politically in kind of raising awareness of PrEP and bringing it into kind of, um, you know, conversations between gay men and others to kind of talk about it more and use it. Yeah. When was actually became readily available in the Netherlands? Um, well, not quite. I, I got involved with Prep New, which is the action group, in about 2015, and and it already been available for several years in America. And it, at that time in in Europe, it hadn't been been approved um, as a prophylactic, Truvada. It's an, it's an HIV medication. So I think it was about a year after that it got approved in Europe as a prophylactic, so doctors were legally allowed to write it, but the price was about f uh, 560 euros wow. a month. Yeah. And then pure by chance, the patent ran out in 2017, so the price dropped down to 50 euros, and you can get it now for about 30 euros. So it had nothing to do with our Dutch politicians. It was pure chance. 
So then it became affordable from about 2017. And we've been fighting since then to get into the basic um, uh, insurance packet mm. and all that. And, you know, the problem is we've, got, we've had a right-wing government for probably 10, longer than 10 years, and they really are not interested. You know, that's one thing that really pisses me off because it comes election time and they're all standing behind the gay right. community. But actually something so important as ending the AIDS epidemic, which right. has devastated the community for the last 35 years, and they don't do anything. Suddenly it's your own responsibility, and why sure. should we pay for you to have a party pill? And There are condoms, and why don't you right. use condoms? And all that kind of moralistic bullshit. Whereas if you listen to the World Health Organization or the AIDS funds here in Holland, all the organizations are saying bring it in immediately. Places like France brought it in with like a degree decree from uh, the minister so you know you can bring it in in a lot of places in scotland or even britain right well, yeah britain's a funny one like because scotland get free prescriptions so i think it's free there but in the rest of the uk it's not it's on it's not on the nhs yet so you have to you can buy it from um kind of uh, i don't know what the quite correct term is like authorized retailers right okay. i think it has got it's still getting cheaper i think when i last bought it it was like 60 pounds for Wow, three expensive. bottles, but oh, yeah, it's oh, sixty pounds for three bottles. Yeah, okay, so it's not no. too bad. No, um, but okay, it's interesting. So it's not part of like the basic health no. insurance package yet. No, and the and the the health minister is an absolute dick, and he um so he's made it really complicated. Instead of like letting it going through your GPs and everything, it has to go through the the health department, days, and so it's been really complicated and bureaucratic. And they don't really care, but you know they've just been trying to save money all this time and putting it all onto yeah moralistic reasons, like I said. And I think instead of looking at like yeah, how do we end this epidemic? And do you think it's changed like people's attitudes towards sex in like obviously in very positive ways? But do you think uh, how do you think it's attitudes? Um, look, there is. I mean, I, for myself, that fear from uh, yeah. I've lived my whole life with like most gay people live with that fear and so that fear mm. is gone which is fantastic it's amazing yeah and that's the main thing um and and then yeah you notice i mean uh a lot of people more people having sex without condoms right. you do see that of course um but i don't think there's been an explosion of uh, other stis no. because you have to if you're following the protocol getting tested every three months and they're sort of keeping that under control but um you know because we've done it in such a bad way here in the second so long people mm. are still buying it online and not getting doctors uh, prescriptions and stuff like that and that's where the problems come in that people not taking medication properly or not getting monitored and and has it actually for, for club church you have a night called hello possums and it, was that originally just hiv positive yeah. men who, yeah. who were allowed in but now do you accept yeah, we are people on prep. Well, we, we started that party. Uh, we're still uh, pretty controversial. We started about eight years ago. And so we one of the few parties we really put down a whole, like, why we're doing it and background. The main reason was to break down that stigma about HIV-positive guys having sex and um, give them a place where they feel safe and free and not discriminated yeah. against because there is still a lot of discrimination against HIV, people with Definitely. HIV. And um, so that was the idea. And then when PrEP came in, we sort of updated it. Yeah, well, if you're on PrEP, you're also having safe sex in that sense. You can't get HIV or you can't pass it on. Right. So we opened it up to, yeah, guys on PrEP. And um, also a way of promoting PrEP, I guess. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. I was really happy. I read a survey survey the other day of all European countries about knowledge of PrEP. And Holland was, after Britain, it was 85% of people um knew about gay men in yeah. the target group knew about prep and 
Britain was like 86%, but mm. we were like second highest in all of Europe, even though it's not even well organized here. And I think a lot to do with the action group. You know, yeah, and I think as well, I know in the UK, when you get an STI check, they will always say, by the way, have you heard about PrEP? Oh, really? Um, and they'll give, there's always leaflets. So it's been quite good in the UK of kind of press, but obviously the great work you're doing and stuff is Well, we're here, there's nothing. Uh, the, all, the, all the promotion's been done by us, this PrEP, uh, this prep new action group. Like, that, all the promotion, all the gay venues and all events, it's all by a voluntary organization. So I noticed you had it on your stage. At the yeah, 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 yeah. We, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were in the Kare a few nights ago and we had, yeah. but they had to sign there as well. Uh, yeah, it was, you did a big night the other night. At yeah, the yeah, Kare, which is that big theater in Holland. And we went in with all these action boards. It was like, you know, activism, dragtivism. And then we brought him the prep sign. Um, just talking about, I love the way you just said dragtivism. So do you, because obviously you have your drag persona as Jennifer Hopeless, and I read somewhere that do you use her as a kind of way to spread your message and kind of get seen more? So whether yeah. it's around prep or kind of... It's sort of like, uh, kind of, I, you know, both two ways, because I started doing drag about, in, about 20 years ago. Yeah. Went into competitions, always came last, like really bad at lip syncing, really bad at <laughs> hosting. I really, I'm not. And then you kind of come with your drag character. Well, where, what do I do with it? And then a lot of people stop or do it. But I, I, I'm also sort of activist. I'm an activist by nature. So I kind of around 2010, I decided to run for the position of mayor of mm. the evening, night mayor. Yeah. And I, I lost that. But I, it was a real interesting, to me, that kind of woke me up. It's like, oh, combining drag with politics is actually right. very powerful. So then I've sort of been using my drag character to, yeah, as for, to achieve my goals or whatever, you know, to get your message out. It's two sides to that because people don't necessarily take you seriously with your makeup and, you know, especially me when I'm in drag. But I love your drag. Oh, you stand out so much. <laughs> the hips are really Yes. <laughs> but, you know, so you do, you fight that. But on the other hand, you do get the attention that you normally yeah. wouldn't get. And lately, you know, last year I was... Uh, refused by taxi and because I'm in drag and all that it well I was refused because I was in drag but because of the drag character I am you get a lot of attention get to the newspapers so you can use it and I really think um, drag uh, performers have a role not all of them politically inclined but a lot are and I think you can use your drag to yeah for that and just touching on something else is very interesting obviously Netherlands but specifically Amsterdam is seen as very tolerant and kind of haven for LGBT QIA plus people um however like you said you're you've been refused what multiple times yeah yeah and not just me like if you talk to any drag queen in the city or a lot of transgender people people wearing fetish wear and so do you think there's still kind of a lot of prejudice or homophobia yeah definitely i mean on on paper it's fine yeah on paper everything's organized legally it's all organized basically you know we've got probably the best laws and Mm -hmm. In the world and it's all about you know on the street it's not and in 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 the, a lot of the, the police unfortunately still love homophobia and the police you, know. you you in sports in the sports world there's not you know not one gay footballer yeah you know, there's a lot of areas in, in churches and and religious organizations there's a lot of areas where still a lot of homophobia here in schools you know homo is still the you know the most common swear word so there's a lot still to be done you know we're living in a great city it's very tolerant probably the most tolerant place in the world but it's still a lot you know you can't walk in i can't walk in drag 200 meters from this club on light supply and without not on a saturday night without you know fearing for my life because it's it's um yeah 
Yeah, which is really shocking and sad. And I think, but that's still something that, first of all, people are not aware of that. So it's good to people know that there's still a problem and then to try and, you know, look for solutions. And I wanted to talk about, obviously, you've lived here about almost 30 years, yeah. 29 years. How have you seen kind of the, the queer scene change over that time? I know you started where we are now, Club Church, in 2008. What kind of was the impetus for that? And I've also read other articles where you've said, you know, there's, when you first arrived, there was far more kind of dark rooms yeah, or yeah, fetish yeah. clubs. And so what have you seen ch change? And what is your opinion on it? Um, well, yeah, okay. But, well, yeah, indeed, I, I counted the dark rooms when I came. There were 34, <laughs> and we're down to about seven now. And when you say dark rooms, do you mean like a club with a dark room? In? Yeah, or right. back room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was much more widespread back in the 80s, you know, even famous places like the It or the Roxy, they also had dark rooms. So that that's one thing. I think, yeah, okay, there's a demise in, in sex venues, not only here, but I think right. all over the Western yeah. world. Uh, you know, people dating more online and, and all that. Um, it's got more conservative. Amsterdam's wanting to move away from sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's the image. So the council's not very helpful. Was that project, there was a project 10? Uh, 10, 12. 10, 12. Uh, the red light area. That, they really, yeah, that's specifically the red light area. But there is a whole thing, you know, you go to City Hall, public servants are all like quite negative. Anything you want to do with sex is quite hard here. Interesting. Which is, I think, a real shame because that was a unique thing of our gay scene here was the the freedom, sexual freedom. That's what brought me to Holland, you know, the freedom of the city and the sexual freedom. And that's something that they really cracked down on. So there's been that, that's been a real shame. Uh, you, the number of queer venues is halved or less, but I think that's in London, New York, a lot of places. So that, that's, you know, no one can say why. That, okay, maybe it's, you know, younger people don't need to go to queer places anymore. Uh, you know, grinder and all that. I also think the AIDS epidemic wiped out a whole generation of, you know, business people or, or creative people. Um, and also, uh, uh, we people, and I don't know why, but we stopped um, opening queer venues. People stopped opening gay venues. Uh, mm. No one's really opened much in Amsterdam in the last 10 years. Probably a handful of new places have opened, whereas, you know, every year a handful close. So, you know, it, it's a sort of combination of that. And I think um, a lot had to do with AIDS. I think all the sex venues, if you go to uh, gay saunas, not only here, but all over the world, they're all kind of stagnated in the 80s when the AIDS hit and they all stopped investing and sort of just tried to survive. And a lot of them are literally like timepieces from the 1980s. Right, so, yeah, yeah. So sure. I think that did have a big impact on sexual, yeah, venues. But yeah, uh, and also, um, I mean, it's not all bad because I think there's, the party scene here is really good and probably yeah. better than it ever has been. So people are starting to go to more festivals like Milkshake and, and parties like, you know, and all the other venues. So it, it's fragmented a bit. But I do miss the day when there were like, you know, half a dozen bear bars and half a dozen, you know, leather bars and half a dozen vanilla bars. And, you know. I think I, I kind of think it's a mixture of definitely the apps don't help. And especially now with apps like Chill where you can literally create your own gay party or sex party in your own home like i didn't even know that app always yeah you so that it's when it's new app. i hadn't i didn't know about it but someone's told me i've i've seen it so you can just post an event and be like my house like here and they have to accept you before okay. you find the address out and okay. they'll be like we provide towels or we don't or like bring this bring that okay and it's like they're literally creating oh how funny it's quite interesting <laughs> um until the neighbors complain <laughs> so it must be rather loud um and then so that's part of it i also think I mean, your opinion 
I would like on this. It's kind of around gays becoming more straight in a way, in terms yeah. of like by having marriage and like investing in institutions which are originally kind of yeah reserved for hetero yeah sexuals. It's kind of making yeah. by becoming more mainstream. Like you're you're less needing spaces. Yeah, yeah, and we become less radical and less right. queer, and become more mainstream. And I think that's true. And you know, people queer people don't need to move to the big cities anymore. They can stay in the little small you know in the country or in small towns and stuff. And you know, uh, I can never pronounce the name, but Reg- Regulia Vast. Yeah, Regular Divorce Street. Regular. <laughs> right they, they used to be way more bars in there, or more kind of. Uh, it used to be a lot more. Yeah, yeah. There were some big bars at Havana, and the Exit was well, which is now Club Nix. But there were some big places. April, they were been there for years, and they all disappeared when Shud Koistro committed suicide. But they were all going downhill anyhow. And Taboo Bar's been around for a while. Sorry, it? Taboo Bar. Taboo's been, been around not all that long. That's probably about ten years, ten years or less. Yeah. Um, and, the, and and the whole Leather Street, Varmostra, which used to be the, the the fetish gay fetish street, that's basically disappeared. There's two venues left, or, you know. But yeah. And um, and do you um, do you find there's a different clientele between like club church and like the sauna? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, church is a hardcore fetish club, right? Yeah. So <laughs> we didn't mean to like market it like that, but that sort of. We come from, a, we used to organize uh, sex parties on the Varmstrap for years. So we came here with the idea of doing theme parties. We found this venue through a friend of a friend. He was managing it. And, um, and so we started doing underwear parties, like fetishy and naked parties and stuff like that. And then we sort of took it over. So we always had like a theme thing. But it is a, and then later on we got to the regular parties like Blue and stuff like that, which opened to everyone, straights and, yeah. and not... But meanwhile, our reputation is this hardcore fetish place is cemented in everyone's <laughs> psyche. So, I mean, I would my estimate is about 5% of the gay population would come to a place like church, whereas a sauna, you'd probably get like 50% would go to a sauna. It's much more accessible. It always has been. So it's much broader range. And the people who come to a fetish club is a much smaller target smaller. group. Okay, yeah. yeah. And also the sauna is like less for partying. It's... Yeah, have more of not always one thing, but more of one thing than here, where it's kind of you could also just come to party. Yeah, party well. and have sex if you want. Right, and, if you yeah. want to. Okay, sure. But saunas, you know, they've got that long history, and you know, they go back to the Greek times where you know, people, men hanging out in saunas and men only spaces and all that. It's, I don't know; it's part of the culture. It's always been. yeah, that's true. And I also think it provides like I kind of wrote this down. They put both these spaces provide like an alternative reality, or like not an alternative reality, but kind of you can. There's a there's a freedom in it. Yeah, you just yeah. Can kind of go into these spaces and yeah. living out your fantasies. Um, yeah, yeah, and the rules of normal world, world rules don't, don't apply. apply. Well, especially you know, in here in church, you see we we allowed nudity at every party. So even like regular parties, you see naked people walking around, and actually lately a lot more naked women, which is yeah. really interesting to see. And um, now we've got we're sort of home to the House of Lost Boys as well, that drag king group. So we're getting a lot more uh, women in here and and queers and and trans. Uh, gender people so it's interesting to see and they're feeling more and more comfortable and then yeah space, naked yeah. and lesbian and sex everything yeah, going on <laughs> everything <laughs> yeah so i got a few more questions and then we'll wrap up i just wanted to say i saw an article saying that you get for a thousand condoms a week here and i was wondering if that's reduced since um prevalence of prep weirdly enough no it, and uh, if you look around on the floor after a party there's a lot of used condoms still going around but yeah, you'd think it would be, but um, we go. By the way, we go through three thousand a week at the sauna. Three thousand, yeah, a thousand a week here. Yeah, okay. a huge amount. Wow. 
and uh, but no, weirdly enough, we've we're pretty much the same. Yeah, so it's still a lot of people using condoms. A lot of people not, but there are yeah a lot who still do. Yeah, and so and you're ha- like head of or the mother of the House of Hope, Hopeless, yeah. and do you guys kind of meet regularly? Like, what's the kind of what do you do as um, it's sort of a kind of loose house but because we've got the club here and every Thursday is blue we most of the time there's always people here from the house so they've got plenty of opportunity to perform and we've especially like the last couple of years we've had a huge number of events we've been invited to like Kare or a lot of different uh, things so we're, we're going out a lot of the house and, and, and appearing other places so we've got about probably 25 really active people at the moment so it comes and goes, and you see people coming, getting keen, and really getting to drag for a few years, and then disappearing. Or okay, and the House of Lost Boys is like an adjacent house, or is it yeah, it's sort of our brother house. Yeah, brother yeah, house. Okay, amazing. Yeah, which is great to see, and it's and that and by the way, I think that's really the future of drag is like yeah. the, the mix of gender, and it can't remain men no. dressing as women. It's got to be much more gender fluid because drag is to me about gender for sure, and it has to be more than that. And even though RuPaul, I think he's fighting himself with that you know like a, it's subversive a man putting a woman's dress over. i think we're past that and i think for sure drag has got to be a, a, a play on gender and you in that sense it's very weird then just to think you can only start with I know, cis men yeah. going to i feel like uh, the, the show is starting to eat itself a bit yeah i don't know i mean he obviously he's come from like a specific background and he you know the show was originally for kind of cisgendered males but now, yeah, it's kind of, it has evolved so far. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, they, the young generation of drags, they don't see, they find that um, playing femininity old school, which is really funny. And they're kind of more into like space age and science fiction and insects and all this kind of stuff. And so it, it's funny how it's moving in that. And I, I just think a whole mashup of, you know, I know a trans woman who does drag king stuff. And, you know, that, yeah. I think that's where it's going. It's going to be just a, a total fuck up of, of gender. Fuck, yeah. That we have to involve women and we have to enjoy, involve trans people in, in, in drag, you know. So. Um, okay, final question, and then I'll let you go. I just wanted to, a slight, a slight pivot, I just wanted to know your thoughts on the kind of commercialization of gay pride. We're seeing more and more kind of large corporates, you know, branding everywhere. Um, and while that's bringing maybe a lot of money to it, it may, you know, they're there for the month or the, or the, or the pride day and then kind of they're gone again. I just didn't know if you had any thoughts on that. Or I mean, I think that's always... Uh, people forget here in Holland that Pride was set up by Gay Business Amsterdam. So Pride has always been a business event in Holland. So we've always had... And most cities have been started politically. Sydney, obviously, New York, obviously, you know. But here it started as a, a corporate kind of event. So, But I do get pissed off when... I mean, I think it's great, and it's to show that these people supporting community, and it's great as long as we keep the balance there, but... You know, it's you play things like AB and AMRO, which you know pretend to be very gay friendly. They're not really, and so I, you know, I think they do bring money in for the whole organisation. But I think you do need to be. I know Uber's been doing huge amount of, and they truly do want to be uh, open and diverse. But you've got that split between the management and actually people working for Uber who don't give a shit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so. I think, you know, they do try, but places like AB and AMRO, I really have my doubts. And, you know, of course, there's gay or queer groups within all those organizations, but the actual banks, I don't think particularly, you know, friendly towards our community. That's true. And I, def- I definitely noticed in the London Pride, I mean, it's way more commercial than here, it seems. Yeah, it's just like brands everywhere. But um, 
thank you so much. I feel like I've answered, ask every question I had. Yes. So if there's anything else you wanted to add or think I've missed. Um, yeah, no, I, you know, I could talk for hours. Yes, yeah, hey, <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I find it fascinating to the whole thing about gender. I, that's all yeah. why I do drag and I find all that really interesting way we're looking at gender and how that's changing yeah i kind of do drag a bit i mean oh yeah doing I drag. play with it a mm. bit i kind of and i went out recently um in, in drag it, and did a little lip sync at lillabelle oh yeah quite fun yeah oh, okay um and it is amazing what what i found quite funny was i uh, when you go into a bar kind of i instantly got bought drinks in, in uh by like different men i was just like wow just put a wig on a fire hydrant and it will come <laughs> up to you like but no it was really it's it's nice and you kind of can be a completely different person than we went out partying to Nick's afterwards which is yeah you kind of take on a whole different character yeah 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 it's funny um, one of the kings was telling me that um, when he, she dragged up as a king she suddenly got male uh, privilege like because yeah. she, she really passes as a guy and she oh, wow. thought, and I was thinking actually you lose your male privilege when you become a drag right. queen yeah, yeah, which is funny because you know you you basically do get people do start treating you as a woman and you get mm. manhandled sometimes as a woman or how people yeah. just use grab you and become public property and I also think a lot of people who aren't around drag much get very almost scared they don't really know how to like deal or how to interact with you yeah oh should I quite how do I call you a man or woman yeah. or they get really nervous about oh, do, really nervous. Moments, oh, do you want to insult you <laughs> yeah drag can be very scary and intimidating so I've always I'm always very friendly as a drag character because the, mm. the world's got enough bitchy drag queens. Right. So I try and be, and I know that it can be intimidating anyhow because you're towering over Huge, people. Like, yeah. yeah, all this makeup. Yeah. So it's important, I think, to be friendly and, you know, make, sure. try and put people at ease or anyhow. That's how I do it. But well, interesting you say that because, and this is the last point, I think um, in London I was always really scared of the queens because, like, London queens have this reputation of being, like, quite catty and, like, sarcastic and, like, cutting but here because I go to Taboo Bar every Wednesday and they obviously have different queens performing every week and everyone's so friendly and just, it's really like relaxed you know it's a small bar anyway so there's nowhere to hide uh, and everyone you know between their performances they're just having a drinks with everyone and actually it's very it's not intimidating at all in that in that way and you get to meet everyone and it's quite a nice sized scene here so it's easy to kind of get to know everyone. There's a, there's a lot of drag now because of RuPaul, you know, right. it's exploding everywhere. Yeah. But indeed, I think the scene here is quite uh, not really that pretentious and stuff like that. And uh, it is generally quite supportive. And I think that's sort of part of the thing. And because of uh, things like Super Bowl, we've got, there's like these houses. So they are quite, yeah. Which is, have you been to Super Bowl? Did no, you? I missed oh. the last one. It sold out and I didn't, oh. have, I didn't get tickets. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You, like, you guys won, right? Did you yeah, win? we won. We won this That's year. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for mentioning <laughs> <laughs> After <laughs> five years. So. But, um, but you know, that, that's a re- really good thing and that's really mm. helped the scene as well, like people forming houses and yeah. coming together. Perfect. So it's, it's a really, I think, well, our house in here is very positive and supportive. People coming in and we're always very open to awesome. And you queens. kind of, every Thursday do you have we have shows here yeah. every uh, Thursday at Blue. We have yeah. shows, and so and mainly drag, not only drag. Okay, cool. And uh, and it, it's a great thing for to keep the house together because we've got regular things happening. Yeah. Okay. And uh, but uh, yeah, so well, thank up. you so much, Richard. I you're, really appreciate your time, welcome, Charlie. And yeah, thank you very much. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Unmasked. You can follow the podcast Instagram at unmasked underscore pod. That's unmasked with a C, not a K. And you can follow me, Charlie, at charrob. That's char with double A. 
The podcast track is Justified by Payphone, and many thanks to them for allowing me to use it. You can find them on Instagram at Payphone London, that's Payphone with an F, and just Payphone on SoundCloud. The album artwork is by the amazing Nina Biddle, who you can find on Instagram at Nina underscore Biddle, that's B-I-D-D-L-E. The incredible makeup is by Madam Madness, who you can find on Instagram at madam.madness, and that's madam with an E. Thank you so much. Thank you.